Hello and welcome to Note Doctors Summer Shorts. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. My name is Ben. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In these short episodes, we will be sharing with each other and all of you musical examples and teaching tips covering a wide range of topics. So if you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. We have a bonus episode here for you. So this was not an episode we planned on when we were planning our summer, but Jen had an amazing experience at workshops in music theory pedagogy in Vancouver, British Columbia. And so some of you may have seen her uh, videos that she posted on Instagram and Facebook, if you follow us there, but uh, where she chronicled her experience there. But if you did not see those, I thought we would, it would be great to have uh, a little conversation about your experience and what that workshop was all about, what you learned, and you know why everyone else should uh, go to the next one. So Jen, talk to us about what this was. So the Music Theory Pedagogy Workshops are a five-day, very intensive um, set of clinicians who work with you around various topics, all things music theory ped, basically. Uh, there were about 50-ish people there, and um, some of us, maybe a third of us, were kind of music theorists, you know? But the other two-thirds were um, some composers, some applied teachers, um, clarinet and oboe and flute and piano and all sorts of things like that, who also teach music theory at their institutions. And it was, I, I think, one of the best uh, sort of experiences like that I have ever had. It was incredible. And I, by the end of day one, I was like, I already feel so saturated with things that I've learned that I don't know how I'm going to go back tomorrow and do this all over again. But um, I took something like 25 or 30 single space pages of notes while I was there. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, it just, it's like every word everybody said, I was like, oh yeah, and that, you know, <laughs> it was, it was really great. So there were six clinicians. Gary Karpinski is the person who started all of this. Um, and Gary is now retired, uh, but keeping the workshops. workshops. <laughs> Keep that workshop afloat. <laughs> <laughs> workshops uh, moving forward. Lee Van Handel will now take the helm uh, in running these workshops. That's why they have moved to University of British Columbia in Vancouver. By the way, if you live in a hot place... That's another good reason to go. It's like 105 out today where I am here in Texas. And while I was there, it was, you know, like 68 and sunny. It was beautiful. Uh, and then Michael Callahan, Gina Root, Jenny Snodgrass, and Nancy Rogers were the other four presenters. Um, most everyone presented every day. Some Lee presented um, and Gary presented a little bit less maybe than the others, but everyone gave multiple sessions on various topics. Some of them, their topics were all tied together across the whole week. Uh, Gina did a lot of work around this idea of pitch mapping, which is that um, we should, the idea of reading skills, like actual reading staff notation skills and all the other aural based skills should all be completely intertwined in our curriculum. Um, so 
she gave us many, many ways that we can do that with our students. Um, Mike talked a lot about curriculum, really. He has done a lot of work in the area of um, the scholarship of teaching and learning and has applied that work to music theory. So he talked about curricular change. He talked about the idea of interleaving, which I think we're just going to have him on to talk about that at length because it, it might change the whole way you do everything. <laughs> um, and um, he also talked a great deal about incorporating playing on people's instruments or on keyboards if they are singers into the written theory class itself as a part of the homework, as a part of the process, because there are errors that students will catch if they are playing, that they will not catch if they are just writing and kind of forcing them to connect sound and staff notation in that way helps them learn it better. Mm -hmm. So if a student is prone to just, you know, writing all the flats on the scale and leaves the A flat off the top of the one, you know, so they've effectively written an A flat major scale that ends on A natural, okay? Right. They will catch that when they play and will correct it. Um, so he has his students both write and play their homework assignments. They submit audio files um, along with most of their homework. Mm. Very interesting stuff. Um, Jenny, we did a lot with Nashville numbers and um, improvisation, the, the real skills that students need if they're going to go out and work in the music industry. So for those of us who have large industry programs, commercial music programs, music business programs, um, what are the things those students need that they say they're not getting in our classrooms and how can we better prepare them? But then the last part of... Um, Jenny's last two sessions were really focused on what she talked to us a lot about, which was knowing your why. And I will tell you that her final session where we all really started to dig down into what our why is, she asked us some really meaningful questions that helped us really process what we want from our careers, what we want our lives to look like and um, our work to look like. And I, what, I'm not exaggerating to say that there were a lot of tears, like actual like crying in the room, just as people were processing these things that we are never encouraged to process as a part of graduate school, even though, you know, graduate school is preparing us for this work that we do. Um, and there were so many profound questions around the room about, you know, what if what I want, you know, is kind of coming up against the requirements of my job. And the only way for me to keep that job is to do all these things that aren't me, you know, I mean, it was just a really powerful session. Wow. Yeah. And Nancy Rogers um, gave us just really practical ways that she teaches things in her classroom so that students truly walk away with more understanding the ways that she marries oral skills and written theory together so that students are kind of developing their own sense of understanding rather than you just lecturing and telling them, this is what a credential 6-4 is, you know? Um, 
she did this great exercise where she set us all up and she said, I'm going to play and then I want you to finish the cadence, like sing the bass line. And so she set us up and the first one, everyone sang so do. And the second one, everyone sang so, so do. Because inherently, we knew that it's supposed to be five, six, four, one, six, four, whatever you call it, credential six, four, five, one, versus the first one, which was obviously just supposed to be five, one. And it all had to do with soprano position, bass position, all of this metric, really, a lot of it was metric position. Um, And that she said it has never failed, that the students always sing it correctly. And then they're like, wait a minute, how did we all get the same answer? You know, and she talked about using those moments of personal discovery, like using what the students already inherently know, even if they don't have the labels for it, even if they don't know, you know, that they know it, using that stuff to help them learn and label things correctly. That's awesome. It was incredible. And I have a million new friends. Well, not a million. There were only 50 people there. But um, it was a really fun crowd because of the way the workshop is set up. We all were uh, sort of rooming together in these suites, kind of dorm style suites. Um, And then we all were eating almost all of our meals together. So quickly, this really great community formed. Um, And we spent a lot of time talking about how excited we are by our students, how much we learn from them, uh, the the struggles we face, the things about universities that are great and that are challenging. Um, it was it was just a great week. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, I have to say, like talking about the reaction to Jenny's final talk. Mm-hmm. I had similar reactions, not on the actual episode that we recorded, but I. That talk really did hit me, and I made a lot of personal notes about it in my own just private journaling and things, and it has caused me to really say no to things mm. that I need to be saying no to and invest the time in the things that I really see as my own strengths and my own passion. And, mm-hmm. man, you, when you start to do that, you do kind of feel this weird energy that, mm-hmm. like, you're like, wow, I'm, like, living into, like, my purpose and fulfillment and you get to like it really helps I think with just like mental health overall and like helping to fight against burnout I think like burnout is something that really a lot of us are facing Mm -hmm. just in academia in general Mm -hmm. not super uncommon and maybe less uncommon using so many double negatives less (laughs) uncommon now than later I'm trying not to say that it's common but it's less uncommon I don't know I think Um, it is common I think it is and I think a lot of it has to do with kind of boundaries around work yeah um when you are like think of the way we describe ourselves I'm a musician I'm a music theorist I am a professor right like we are assigning these things as part of our actual identity, the way we move around in the world. So you don't just sign off this podcast recording session and then go not be a music theorist. Like I'm still a music theorist when I go downstairs to make lunch. Right. And so then it becomes really hard to put boundaries around work in a way that is healthy and in a way that allows you to also be, that's the other element of what she did is, we kind of imagined the perfect day or the perfect evening after work. What does that look like? And it was interesting that for no one 
was it well I came home and analyzed a bunch of Beethoven scores (laughs) everyone said things like I spent time with my family or I cooked dinner or I I went for a nice walk or I sat outside by the pool or I you know maybe it was I listened to music that I didn't get to connect with all day or I you know like all of these other facets of who we are we have to have boundaries around those things to protect those two they're important I love that so did she tell us how to uh any of the presenters tell us how to convince our colleagues to just get rid of textbooks and go to keyboards (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot of talk about textbooks and just what they are and what they aren't what they can give us and what they can't um almost everyone on this list is a textbook author in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. um almost everyone presenting is a textbook author and um you know, there was a great question about, I have this book I, I want to publish. Um, could you talk to me about that process? And Mike Callahan said, he said, you know, if I, you need to know why you want to publish it. If you want to publish it because you want other people to have access to it and be able to use it, then you should self-publish it and make it open and free. If you want to publish it as a means for, you know, income or something like that, then you'll need to go or notoriety even. He's like, and those are not illegitimate reasons to publish something. Uh, You want to be known for having done that thing. That's okay. Um, Then you should go the traditional route. But just know that a publisher will change what you've done. They will force you to do things you don't want to do. They will force you to cut things you don't want to cut or add things you don't want to add. And it will be a long and difficult process. And so they all they gave very honest uh, sort of feedback about what it means to create a resource for learning and how you may go in with a set of goals, but if you want to make it a published resource, you might not get everything you set out to do. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really interesting. Even if you're really proud of what is out there, you know, it's a process for sure. Yeah, that's good advice. So what are maybe two things that you're going to try to implement this fall? Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's probably more than you could change that that you could that you could do. But Mm -hmm. maybe one or two things that you're definitely going to try to do this fall. So. I have actually already sat down with my um, curriculum for the fall and restructured it to make it uh, include a lot more improvisation, especially in oral skills, and to make the homework assignments um, deeper and to allow room and space, even in Music Theory 1, for kind of creative assignments or assignments that will require students to take a risk or try something new or, you know, use the materials they're learning about rather than just spelling 600 intervals, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Um, So I've actually taken a lot of that idea of improvisation, play, all of those things. And I'm already sitting down and kind of day by day, like, where can we 
get this? What are my real objectives in the class? And how can I write assignments and assign assignments that actually lead to those and not just because they're the next thing in the book? Um, Okay, one quick question. I don't want to interrupt you. You're on such a good flow right now. But when you say play, that's less of like a gamifying play and more of like a play your instrument play. I think it's both. But includes singing, right? I don't uh, know. Sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that like music, bringing music making into the classroom creates a space for students to bring the best of what they already know. Right. Mm -hmm. Um they were accepted into our programs because they're good musicians, because they have potential and talent and, um, and because they've, you know, done s- some work already to get themselves to that place. That's how you sure. end up in a college music program. Um, and so just kind of acting like you're starting from scratch is silly and ignores all of this knowledge that they already bring. So I'm, I'm trying to get as much music making into both oral skills and written theory as I can. I love it. I um, yep. Yeah. And then the second thing is that in my written theory course, I'm actively working on ways to interleave. And the idea of interleaving is that you leave content before students really have mastery of it. And then you return to it again and again and again. And um, so I am looking for ways to kind of maybe squish it down a little bit, um, get the content presentation into a just very slightly smaller time frame, and then leave time built in for returning. Mm. Because actually forgetting is a critical part of the learning. And we don't, we, not only don't leave a lot of space for it, but we we actively encourage against it. We're like, well, I, I told you that. We learned that. Like, and I've taken... They're not a, testing the week after spring break. They're going to forget it all. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> I've taken a lot of that language out of my teaching anyway because I, I know that it takes a lot of time and, and interaction with material for students to really start to grasp it and understand it. Um, so I, I have not said something like that to a student in years and years, but I have also not actively built in the forgetting and the time for, for forgetting and returning uh, to the curriculum. Yep. I mean, I think intervals are a great point because they learn intervals. And if you ask them, you know, three weeks later, what is a minor sixth down from G? They're like, oh, <laughs> That was unit. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Why should we remember that? But that's so like forgetting is part of the learning. How? What was that? I, like I'm forgetting just, is a critical step in the learning process. Uh, that's just so. I love that so much because. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because it is because none of forgetting us forgetting plus recall. Yeah. yeah, none of us like read something the first time and then just get it. Like forgetting is a part. Mm-hmm. Oh man. You're blowing yeah. my mind, Jen. Yeah, that's why we have to have Mike on. It's great. You've got to hear him talk about interleaving and how he's built it into his curriculum and mm-hmm. what so that cool. looks like. It's yeah. it's great. Mm. It's funny because a lot of us, I think, I don't know how common this would be to say that group of 50 that were with you in Vancouver, but I always find myself giving the same lectures in my office hour 
And you two, when you came to yeah. visit my office before the TSMT, you're like, oh, look, look, you have a little paper with this stuff. And I'm like, well, it's just because I teach that <laughs> so often. They're like, I'm not going to do a whiteboard where I have to write it out again. Right. I'm just going to put it on a piece of harder paper. And then I can just point to it and say, hey, you remember that order of sharpened flats? Hey, you remember right. that? Mm-hmm. You know, pad mill, limb dap, whatever, modal theory. And you remember all this stuff that I refer to over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's like, you are coming back to it, and you yeah. know those that come to office hour maybe are getting more of that forget and recall than others. But right. yeah, it's it's a part. Of, and man, students often of apologize for it. It's built into our education education system that students believe that they are supposed to be told something once and then they know it. Mm-hmm. And and that I mean that goes contrary to everything we know about how learning actually works. Mm-hmm. And so students often will be like, I know we did this in class, but I don't remember, you know, and I'm now at a place where I'm like, well, that's because you're learning, you know, right. <laughs> that's good. Good job. Uh-huh. Not remembering. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. look at it again. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. people will, I'm not saying this is any, I'm not mentioning any names or anything, but sometimes people will be like, well, you need to go back and read that chapter. I'll see you in 30 minutes, you know? And it's like, for me, I'm just like, (laughs) just where's the piece of paper that applies to this? Okay, let me, okay, let's just start over. Mm -hmm. No shame, no judgment. I'm just going to teach it to you now again. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. You know what I mean? It's like, it's literally, that's all, we've all been there. It's like, that was me in some of the language classes, like Jen was talking about. I mean, shoot, I don't speak Italian, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to forget the words, forget the vocabulary. I mean, the crazy thing is, that I, I still don't speak German or French particularly well. <laughs> After nine semesters of language training I, uh-huh. or Spanish, my four years in high school, you know, uh-huh. I can understand quite a bit of Spanish, but could I yeah. speak to a, you know, a Spanish speaker and have them understand me? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so yeah, it, there's a lot of forgetting that is part of learning. And that retrieval process of, like trying to reconstruct it is actually learning. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. I've been playing a lot of online chess and I've been trying to learn openings, like different oh, yeah. openings, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that's that's a good example of like memorizing an opening and then forgetting it. And then you, are you only get like, oh, I know the first three moves, but then I can't remember the next. Or someone does something different, like, oh, what do I do there, right? And so I'm constantly forgetting the openings and trying to relearn them. But, mm-hmm. like, that's the process is that you you have yes. to go through this, like, oh, wait, what is that again? And you go back. And it's not like you're starting from scratch, scratch. You're like, oh, I still remember right. this. But, oh, there's that one step. Oh, I forgot. I need to move this. I need to move the bishop first and not the knight, you know. Um, and that happens, you know, with our students when they're learning you know, scales or intervals or, or any number of things. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I know you said two things, but this is more of like a I think I will carry this experience with me always kind of things. And that is that Lee renamed the notes um, A, B, C, D, E, F, G starting on J. J, I, K, L, M, N, O. And then made us spell chords without looking at at anything. And I, I will tell you that I it was like the first time in my life because I learned to read music as such a young child that I don't remember not knowing And it was the first time in my life that I was like, this is really hard. 
Mm. Like what we are asking a student to do is really hard. Like just sitting there and being like, okay, so J sharp <laughs> L uh-huh. N sharp. I don't, I don't even know what you just did. Was that yeah. A sharp major, tr- A sharp minor triad? I don't even know. <laughs> I think it was A sharp C E sharp, right? Yes, I, yeah, I did it wrong. I don't even know. I was trying to figure out what triad, and that's what I got to. And I'm like, wait. Uh. Exactly. It is so hard. Like it requires so much thinking, and you're constantly uh. having to reorder them, and then add these other layers of information. And on top, like, oh wait, I'm supposed to skip one, right? Yeah. And, and then yeah. if I had to, like, put that on a staff as well, like, yeah. the amount of load, cognitive load that you're bearing trying to do a task like that is really high. Yeah. Um, so I'm so glad she gave us that experience yeah. because I can, I can stand there in the room with my students and have felt a little bit of what they might be feeling yeah. And have some compassion for that and make space for that in the classroom as well to say, like, you're just learning it. It's okay. Yeah. Mm, so, totally. That's awesome. Well, if some of our listeners are interested in attending the next one, that's going to be in two years. Is that right, Jen? Is it every two years? I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. It might be every three. But pedagogy and practice is next year. So, mm. there's a lot of good pedagogy stuff coming. And I think the proposal proposals for that are already open, I think. And it's going to be in uh, University Oklahoma. of Oklahoma? Awesome. Mm-hmm. So if Oklahoma. you don't have a passport, don't worry. <laughs> just go to the middle of the country, Oklahoma. You just made it to the end of another episode of Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the podcast, and you can always reach us at notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or show ideas. Thanks for listening.